Welcome to Simply Christian, a podcast diving deep into the essentials of the Christian faith, heresies, and everything in between. I'm Isaac. And I'm John. Evolution. Evolution. <laughs> <laughs> We're all evolving, right? Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll um, see. <laughs> <laughs> today's episode, yeah, we're going to talk about evolution. Um, it's taught in our schools. Uh, you know, you might even be laughed at quite a bit if you're a person who would say anything really against the evolutionary model, especially the, the Darwinian evolutionary model. So what is up with those crazy science rejecting Christians who deny evolution? Are they out of their mind? Is there any validity to not holding to the common evolutionary model that we see? How does it fit in the Bible? We're going to tackle all of this in this episode. I think the earth's flat. Me too, bro. Yeah, see? Let's, <laughs> let's just come out. Let's just say it. <laughs> all right, just kidding. I don't. I don't think the earth is flat. Yeah. Yeah. So what, let's, let's talk uh, real quick first, triage. Um, how can we, how, how do we deal with this? What, where do we put this? Yeah, sure. So, um, so number one, I mean, there's two types of, of views of evolution as we'll get into. There's just regular, like biological evolution or naturalistic evolution, which basically means there's no God, um, like, no God at all. And evolution just kind of happened, um, through various processes and like mm-hmm. the Big Bang and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously that's number one <laughs> because if you reject the existence of God, you know, you're kind of not uh, not a Christian, of yep. course. Um, yep. Yep. But uh, for theistic evolution, which would be um, the view that God's pro- God started the process of evolution, that would probably be um, a, a two, maybe a three, and sometimes it could be like a one, 1. 1.5, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just really depends, and we'll... We'll kind of get into that as we go along. That's good. Okay. All right. And so we will come at this um, for our table of contents. What we're going to do is we're going to have just just basically define evolution, um, particularly naturalistic evolution, atheistic evolution, um, and the Darwinian model that is kind of upheld today. What is that? How can we just unpack that and get a real clear look at what is being presented um, by this side? Then we'll tackle what is theistic evolution. How are Christians uh, upholding this model or a similar model, and how do they <clears throat> involve God into the process, and how do they see things? And then we'll look at our view and kind of uh, propose what we believe the Bible teaches, um, and we'll kind of see how if if these other models can fit in with the Bible, and we'll just look at that. And then the last thing we'll do instead of our typical common objection section of uh, our podcast. What we'll do is our objections um, to the other side, and that could be kind of fun because it gives us a chance to not be in the hot seat, but to put other people in the hot seat, which is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll try to sh- poke some holes in the other side, um, and I hope it's a blessing. I hope this is all beneficial to you guys. We're really grateful for all the listeners out there. So let's just jump right in. What is evolution? And when we say evolution, I think typically what just comes hand in hand with that when most people say evolution is they mean neo-Darwinian evolution, naturalistic evolution, um, and a model without a God, right? Yeah, that's yeah. usually what Typically what would it would mean. Not always, but right. yeah, typically, right. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, so what is evolution? So there's the first thing we want to do when, uh, and this will be relevant for our entire discussion later, is there's, there's some different types of evolution. Um, there's this one big category of it, and then within that there's different things. So there's cosmic evolution, which is uh, just how the whole... Uh, really, the universe and the cosmos, the stars, the other planets came into being mm-hmm. from the Big Bang going forward. 
Um, and there's a few other types, but just to list the ones that are probably more relevant. Then there's biological evolution, which would be the evolution of life from one organism into everything now. Mm-hmm. And uh, within that, there is microevolution and macroevolution. And macroevolution would be the evolution of one species into another species, so cat into a dog mm-hmm. or something of that nature. Obviously, they don't actually believe a cat evolved into a dog, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, the principle of yes. one species to another. Um, and then there's microevolution, which would be within a species, there are different changes, like within dogs, there's chihuahuas, there's bulldogs, there's huskies, you know, all that, that kind of stuff. So yeah. um, that's just kind of an overview. Yes. There's different types of evolution. Yep. And, um, we actually affirm uh, microevolution, mm-hmm. which would be the changes within a species. Mm-hmm which would be, I mean, I don't think anyone objects to that. That's (laughs) that's why humans have different colored hair and Mm -hmm. uh, we have different qualities, but we're human and any human can reproduce with another human uh, in a normal circumstance as long as there's not some other hindrance to that. um, Yes. Yeah. Physical physical problem or something. So, yep. Yep. And so when it comes to um, just this big picture, what we have presented um, on an atheistic kind of model, <clears throat> and just to try to be fair with it, just to present kind of what the other side would say, um, at maybe 14.45 billion years ago, um, the Big Bang happened, and that launched into effect this cosmic evolution where our entire universe was created in an instant and has now progressed, and you know, stars and everything have been flying and crazy fast directions throughout the universe as the universe is expanding. Um, and now our universe is as we know it today, um, or the fraction of it that we know today. But particularly when it comes to life, um, our planet got here about 4.5 billion years ago when it was fully formed, when all of the the heat and all of the, the cosmic material kind of cooled to a point where it could be a solid um, marble floating throughout the universe. But about 4 billion years ago, the first life evolved. And we're not entirely sure how, but potentially some of the theories are that there was this kind of like cosmic soup um, on our planet that still remained and maybe it was struck by lightning. We're not entirely sure, but there was some sort of perfectly combined form of substance and uh, uh, molecules that when something happened to it, it sprung into life. And then about 4 billion years ago, this first life, this single cell, um, came to life. And with the right set of circumstances, uh, it began to reproduce and then reproduce. And over billions of years, we now see that one single-celled organism has evolved. And obviously, a lot of death has happened. That same one that first was here isn't around anymore. But as it reproduces, there's change and change and gradual change, which gradually has led to this tree of life model, which is presented, which at the very base of it is that single-celled organism. But now at the top, we have this millions of species, uh, which have all evolved and they all have as their common ancestor, this one single-celled organism from about 4 billion years ago. Uh, Humans are very relatively New to the scene, uh, we're about 250,000 years old, according to this evolutionary model. Uh, 250,000 years ago, the first humans arrived, and we evolved from chimpanzees 
um, and began kind of walking more upright and, you know, making tools and things like that. And we became differentiation, dif- uh, able to establish difference um, between our ancestors, which were chimps, and us, which are humans at some Chimp-like. point. Chimp-like. Not, yeah, not, chi- quite, not quite actual monkeys. They wouldn't argue that. But they yeah, yeah. Monkey-like Exactly. Yeah. And eventually it it grew to a point where it was distinguishable. Right. Right. Um, And then just another thing to just to draw out, obviously, it's it's an atheistic model um, and that God is not necessary for any of this. All of this is possible, this view would say, without God. We don't need God in this model. If there is a God, then, you know, whatever. But God is definitely not needed. And we know all of this not only could have happened, but we're very sure that it is most probable and very, very likely that all of this happened without a God. And this is what that side argues. And just to try to give it a fair shake. And obviously yeah. we would disagree with it, but I think just trying to put it forth just factually what what we're looking at here when we're dealing with evolution on a on an atheistic model. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Then the next view is uh, the same thing except with God. So it's theistic evolution, and there are some variances within this. So uh, with theistic evolution, you have people who um, believe in evolution and believe in a God of some sort. Then you have people who believe in theistic evolution and believe in the Christian God. And I assume you could, I'm sure you have the same thing um, in Judaism and maybe even um, Islam. I don't know. I mm. honestly don't know about that, but I'm sure there's someone out there <laughs> that <laughs> oh, does. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, particularly in this, we'll be addressing the Christian theist, mm-hmm. the, the Christian who believes in evolution. Um, so the way that that a Christian who believes in evolution would um, explain it is they think that that's how God decided to create everything. So God was definitely involved, and God was needed because a miracle is needed for mm-hmm. for something like evolution, for like the Big Bang, for everything to come about the way it has. Um, in the theistic evolutionist view, God is needed mm-hmm. um, for any of that to work, but this just happens to be the way he decided to create everything. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a blend between what the Bible teaches as far as like morally speaking, and the theology about God. Mm. But then when it comes to science, um, they would believe that the Bible isn't touching on scientific matters. Mm -hmm. So they would interpret, um, you know, the days of creation as more allegorical, which, which to be fair, um, that's actually very common in church history for people to interpret it allegorically. Now, Mm -hmm. people didn't go to evolution Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. that. There were other views that people had, so viewing it allegorically, I don't think is um, a a massive problem, but we'll get into some areas where it is. But um, nonetheless, that's what they uh, that's what they would say. It's kind of a blend between science, what the the scientific theory and the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, they would say, you know, kind of like the Earth isn't flat. Mm-hmm. Like the Bible talks about the four corners of the Earth, mm-hmm. and it seems like the authors talk about the Earth in a geocentric way rather than. Uh, heliocentric way mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. those are that's kind of like the, the argument yeah and so they would apply the same thing and say well all right so we're reading the bible we know from science that the earth is round and that the earth goes around the sun and we know or we at least trust that the science is very accurate in that <clears throat> and while if i just read the bible without knowing any of the science i might think potentially i could come to an understanding that the earth is flat and that the sun just kind of goes around this flat earth but I'm okay with interpreting those passages in a different way now that I know a scientific truth. 
mm-hmm. I can go back in my understanding of the Bible and reread it and say, well, maybe I was wrong here. I think mm-hmm. maybe maybe there's some other way to understand it. And so they might say the same thing with evolution and the age of the universe even um, to say, all right, my understanding, if I just read the Bible with no science, then I'm just going to think maybe the earth is very young um, and that everything just kind of popped into existence. But now with the scientific evidence that's been presented to me, um, I'm going to go back and I'm going to reread those passages and see if there's any different way I can understand it. Right, which I don't think that's argue. bad. Yeah, right. I, I think that's actually a great idea. You just really need to make sure that what you're calling science mm-hmm. is actually science <laughs> yeah, and yeah. actually observable. Mm-hmm. Amen. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's good. Okay. Yeah. And so, and just to keep giving these guys <clears throat> a fair shake, because you know, even if we are not falling in line with this particular view either. We want to present them well um, and just acknowledge that there are Bible-believing Christians even who would hold this. Yeah, there are. And even if we would disagree with them in this thing, we we think that, like you mentioned before, this could even be a three-issue where I can worship with somebody. I don't even not only have to go to a different church because it's hard to fellowship with them on a day-to-day basis. This might not even ever come up in our conversations right. in our fellowship. They're taking uh, communion with me. Uh, we're worshiping Jesus Christ. Um knowing that he had a, had a sacrificial death on the cross on my behalf, shed his blood, rose from the dead, is the Son of God who's coming again to judge the world, and um, not everybody's going to heaven, that there's those who believe upon Jesus Christ for their salvation. And then they're like, but I just hold into theistic evolution. Right. And we're not going to look at them like, what's wrong with you? You're out of the faith Yeah, because of that. Precisely. And I think that's really important, because if you know anything about church history, then you'll know that there have been many different views of creation and philosophy and uh, other things like that within Christianity. The earliest church dealt with Platonism, which was, uh, if you've heard of the philosopher Plato, he had some different views about creation and about how matter related to the spiritual and all these things. And it was very common for Christians to have adopted the philosophy of the time, and that influenced um, much about what they believed about the world, as well as the Bible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but they were still Orthodox Christians and held to held to the faith and were part of the church. Um, so we gotta we gotta make sure that we we understand just because someone is wrong about some things mm-hmm. does not disqualify the fact that their faith is in Christ. Because mm-hmm. we're justified by our faith, not by our science. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like and man, like there's there's all kinds of wacky beliefs out there, and praise God, we're justified by faith. Oh, thank you, <laughs> Man. Lord. Yeah, Amen. yeah. So yeah. I, th- I think it's important to to treat it that way. Yeah, but okay. still address it. I mean, because yeah. it can have some bad implications, right? You know, yes, and the implications can lead to some interesting things, and we'll probably cover that in this section where we just kind of want to present what we would believe, and to some people it might be laughable. I, I I know some people who, if I were to present my view. They would not even just re- kind of right off the bat, it'd be like me saying I'm a flat earther. Um, they'd be like, okay, all right, John, what's, what's wrong with you? You're crazy. Um, but we would say, our side would say this, that we believe what the Bible teaches is um, what's known as a young earth, that the earth is not millions and billions of years ago, nor is the universe. But we have a, a earth that was created, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I'm necessarily saying only five and a half, six thousand years ago. I might leave some wiggle room for me personally, and I'd like to hear where you're at with it. But I would say maybe even up to ten, potentially thousand years old. But that's so small and fractional, and really 
just like a grain of sand in the universe compared to what some people's view of when you hear 14.5 billion years old for the universe to hear somebody come along and say, wait a second, maybe 10,000. Like that's, that's crazy. Who, who is this whack job? But that's what I would present from my understanding of scripture, uh, a young earth. And I don't know where, where are you at with the, the time frame if you had to put a number to it? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say just based on, so I take the genealogies literally. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I, I think that from the, the point of creation, when when God made mankind, I think he made everything and and then the animals and the humans around the same time. I don't think there was a gap between when he started his work of creation and between when he made mankind. So I would say the earth is probably, based on the genealogies, somewhere between six and 7,000, mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only thing I would add is... Uh, I don't know, do we want to talk about this now? The uh, the whole uh, maturity thing? Yeah, we should. I okay. think so. We'll talk about it now. So, yeah. yep. so in my view, I really, the whole age of the earth deal is kind of irrelevant to me. Mm-hmm. And here's why. So when God made Adam, how old was he on the first day he made him? Mm. I know all the pictures. I'm going to say 25, 30. Yeah. Like that. yeah. He was an adult, <laughs> obviously. He was yeah. enough of an adult to see his... Wife even go, well, hey, pretty lady. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah exactly, right. Yep, <laughs> you know, so yep, yep. <laughs> same thing with the trees. Did he make the trees saplings? Mm, no, no, he didn't. Right. We have no indication in the text that he did that. Yep. He made everything in a mature state, even though in reality it was just made, mm-hmm. but he made it in a mature state. So I think, yeah. I, I think it makes perfect sense that he would have made the universe in a more mature state so it looks older. Than it really is. Right. Just like Adam would have looked like he was thirty, but he was actually one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you right. know, yeah. yeah, like in the same way. So when we are using scientific methods to look back um, to the age of the Earth, whatever those might be, I think we need to remember that this is always an option. Maybe God just made everything in a mature state, mm-hmm. so it's actually younger than it looks. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yep. So I think to me that just because that's even a possibility, it just prevents me from really having to um, yield to the demand that there's an old Earth and therefore the creation days are somehow mm-hmm. these long, um, these long time frames and yeah. man evolved or or whatever you know. Yeah, and because even if you get into like. Um you know, radiometric kind of dating and, and uh, half-life and isotopes and all these things that are way above my head. But yeah, um, if I, I might even be willing to acknowledge, yeah, hey, maybe some of that stuff is really, really old, but it, God has made it initially that old. Right. Um, and you get that example of John chapter 2 when Jesus makes the aged wine out of water, and that water was turned into wine, and that, that wine was 45 seconds old. But I'm sure if you did a scientific lab and examination of it, you're like, this is aged. Right. It's got wine. fermentation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right away. But it's brand new. Jesus just made it, but yeah. he made it in an aged fashion. Um, and so, yeah. So, same thing when it comes to questions about like, you know, the, the stars, if they're 3.5 billion light years away, how could it even be possible that the light has even made it to us yet? Right. And I'm thinking, well, God just made the light streams in between from the star to here. Like it, he didn't light it 
and then wait say, for it to get wait here. for it to get here. <laughs> yeah, He's like, I'm yeah. gonna also make all of the light particles and beams in between that star yeah. and here so that we see it perfectly plausible. And to me, it just it's it's plausible. And if yeah. if it's plausible, then I am not gonna go back in my interpretation of what seems clear in scripture to me yeah. for something that is pl- may or may not be plausible in my scientific understanding to make me go and now tweak my understanding of the Bible. Right. I'm just I'm gonna allow it to be to say what it says. Yeah. Um, right now. And so another thing too is that we would present instead of a tree of life, and I'm stealing this I think from Ken Ham, um, and I don't even know if this is original with him, but I like this, and I think this is helpful. When in the evolutionary model again, we have the tree of life, everything starting with that single cell organism. Um, in over billions of years, enough time has changed where there's evolution and various branches and twigs have grown in this one tree to now where you have penguins and you have zebras and you have donkeys and dolphins and birds and all of these things. Um, whereas in what we would hold is a creation orchard. So still tree tree action going on, but instead of just one, it's many trees. Mm. And so over here, you will have the dog tree. And like you said, there's huskies, there's chihuahuas, there's great danes, there's coyotes, there's all of these things that there's variation. And it's beautiful over time. Um, whatever the first dog that God created has now evolved into a whole lot of um, variation. And that's good. Um, and then over here, you maybe have the the human tree, um, and tall, short, black, white, you know, Chinese, uh, you know, all of the variation that we see in human beings and all of the various kinds of cre- creatures. But at the end of the day, a human from the human tree is never going to, given even given a million or a trillion or a quadrillion years, it's never going to change in into a rhinoceros. And I say that kind of jokingly, but in the evolutionary model, that is the case. Enough time, it will be another species. And it's going to look completely different just as a human and a rhinoceros do. Um, where we would say, no, it, we're going to have evolved in some senses on a micro level, but even give us quadrillion years, we're still only going to be humans. Right, right. There's limitations. There's limitations to the changes yeah. that are available. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Completely agree. Uh, and so that, yeah. that takes us right into microevolution. That's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we believe there can be changes within a species. And the reason why we believe it is because this is the only aspect of evolution that we can observe. Mm-hmm. The only one. And that's why we believe it. Mm-hmm. But these other things are projections in theories into the past about what people, th- how people think everything came to be. But it's completely faith-based, completely faith-based. It's a projection, it's a theory. Mm-hmm. And the only aspect we can observe is the micro aspect, but that in no way, because you affirm microevolution changes within species, does can you make the jump to say, okay, that means everything evolved from one organism mm-hmm. right. into the multiple species we have. That's just a non sequitur. Logically, does not work. Yes, yes. Okay, that's great. <clears throat> and and here's another thing that we would uh, hold to, and I think this to me this is, if I were to meet a a, a brother or sister in Christ who held a theistic evolution, um, this would probably be my go-to because I think this gets to what you we were saying earlier, the implications. And while I don't think they're meaning to tamper with some things that I think are pretty important, I think they're just holding to something, and um, it makes sense to them, and there's they've 
got a firm grasp on what they believe is true to what's true in science, and so now they're applying that to their interpretation of scripture. But I think it does touch on some critical things, and so you get people like you know John MacArthur or um, others who are saying this isn't even a second level issue. This is number one. Like this is you cannot toy with these things. And I think this is their heart. And I respect kind of what they're getting at, that they really want to safeguard something that is uh, critical to our Christian understanding. While I wouldn't go as far as John MacArthur, I think still, I think this is what they're getting at. And it kind of causes me some of the same angst um, when I hear hear it. But um, Romans chapter five, and this is just a passage that is a few verses, but I want to try to just unpack it. Um, So we have uh, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and then death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. So there's a lot going on here that I'm not trying to touch on just yet, Um, but and it's going to progress as we'll see, but he's saying focusing in on death reigning from Adam until Moses because all sinned. And so there's a, what I would say is a timestamp here that there is no death before Adam, that death reigned from Adam into Moses and even ongoingly, um, because what he's arguing here is for the law and what the purpose of the law is. But nonetheless, it doesn't say death was before Adam. And so now just reading on a little bit, verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression the one many died, much more did great the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came in through the one who sinned, for the, on the one hand the judgment arose from the one transgression resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand there arose from the many transgressions resulting in justification. Now listen to this, for if by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of the grace of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Again, a whole lot going on here, and the focus of the subject that Paul is getting at, he's not trying to get at evolution, because it wasn't even really thought of yet, but what he is getting at, and I think he's making a case for, is that death did not enter in until sin entered in. And so it was not until Adam and Eve first sinned, that goes right back to Genesis, uh, God says to them, the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. There was no death prior to that. But if you hold to the evolutionary model, whether atheist or theistic, you're still acknowledging some form of death, that there has to be death for a progression to occur. And it involves not only just one death, but millions and billions of years of death prior to Adam and prior to sin. And for me, that leaves a problem that I am uncomfortable with and I want to guard and I want to say, look, there is no sin before, there's no death. And the reason that there is death is because there's sin. And so I want to safeguard and say, look, we have to acknowledge something important here that sin causes death. Yes. And death was not in God's original plan. Right. And that that's not in his future plan either when he brings everything back full circle and has a full restoration and a new heaven, new earth, no more tears, no more sorrow, but no more death. 
Yeah. He's going back to the original plan. And if we're willing to say that there was death in the beginning, is there going to be death at the end when he said there was like... Yeah. And so there's some things that I just think get tampered with yeah. when we open this up. I agree. But I don't think everybody who's saying they're a theistic evolutionary person is thinking all of this. No way. No, I'm there's not plenty to toy of conservative Christians that, that hold the theistic evolution yep. that would never go that route. Right. But that's the rub. And yeah. I think that makes some of us on the other side be like, all right, wait a second. And, you know, John MacArthur, I think he often just pulls out the big guns always. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he has a level two sword. I think it's just level one. That's all he's got. And he, he swings it around. But um, but I love John MacArthur. I've learned so much from him. But I think I, I understand that's the rub that he feels. And I can I can I respect that. Respect that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I get yep. it. I yep. get it. Yeah. One, one thing to point out with that view Um a lot the objection I've heard with that to kind of get around it is like, okay, death for human humanity didn't start mm-hmm. until Adam. But there was still death in the other creatures or whatever, right? But here's a problem with that. Romans eight, verse eighteen and following says this For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption Mm. and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So creation was good, and when sin entered into the world, because humanity, as the image bearers of God, had authority over the world, when we corrupted ourselves through sin. It corrupted what we had authority over. It corrupted the creation. And this, But that was because of sin. And that's when death starts coming in. Mm-hmm. It's because mm-hmm. of our corruption, because we had authority over the world. Mm-hmm. So the, the, whole, the whole story of the Bible is that everything is good. We screwed it up, and God had to intervene in human history to bring a resurrection and a new creation to restore everything from its bondage to corruption. Right. Yeah. Yes. If corruption was a part of the thing from the beginning, if death was a part of it from the beginning, it's kind of irrelevant to talk about it like it's a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. just the way it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You know? Yep. And if anything, it was a good thing because that's how... That's how we came to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and on the theistic evolutionary model, it's this is how God did it. And we're progressing in an upward fashion in evolution um, because that's how God is doing it. But his means of accomplishing it is death. Yeah. And he's chosen to use death because sin hasn't been in the world. But that's difficult for me to get my head around. Yeah. God is using a, a, a means such as death that really, he says later, is a result of sin. And right. Sin and death is defeated in christ right but why why would he defeat something that was a good means that he used right. for billions of years before sin even entered yeah yeah, I, yeah. so that's that's a, a, a uh, an interesting way that we would look at it um but uh yeah so i think what we can do now and this kind of leads into <clears throat> what is next is our objections which we've already tipped our hand a little bit and <laughs> <laughs> shared some okay. of our <laughs> um but we want to share some of our objections to you know again the other side um and again not to throw dirt and slander or anything like that but really to just say here are some problems that we see on the other side of things 
And again, this is kind of fun because usually it's us in the hot seat trying to have yeah. to deal with objections, but now we get to just say them and shoot them out and then sit back and laugh. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so want me to take the flood? Sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. So <laughs> the, uh, um, so my miscellaneous objections, um, w- one would be the, the whole universal flood. So I, th- I think the flood makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. I think the universal flood makes perfect sense of so many different issues. To name a few, um, there are m- there's much evidence of fossils in mountains and mountain ranges of um, sea creatures. You see clams and other things like that. Just look it up online; you can see it. It's mm-hmm. it's not uh, not like it's exclusively Christians who say this. There's stuff everywhere. That would make a lot of sense if there was a global flood. Wouldn't make a lot of sense. Uh, in a very long thing of evolution, especially because of the whole rock layer issue with them. It wouldn't wouldn't really make much sense at all. Other issue with the rock layers. We have um, many much evidence of well, let me let me say this. In, in the evolutionary view, like when it comes to geology, um, there is the different rock layers. And they view that as different stages in history. So over time, these rock layers got thicker and thicker. So in theory, at the lowest point in the rock layers, you should find the lowest, like the most ancient forms of biological creatures. Mm -hmm. So, you know, pretty low down there is the dinosaurs. And then we should see uh, like different ape-like creatures that are the, you know, the um, predecessors to humanity mm-hmm. and then we should see you know things like that up until the modern day mm-hmm. but that's mm-hmm. not what we see we actually mm-hmm. see it jumbled up mm-hmm. altogether. Yeah. however there are rock layers of different types of of like stone and material mm-hmm. they are separated mm-hmm. into different layers what would make a heck of a lot more sense than to say that that all happened over time is actually a global flood because we know this just from um, from maybe a science class in school. If you take a jar and you put in it a bunch of different types of sediment, like dirt, clay, sand, all that stuff, and you shake it up and you just let it sit still, it it will automatically sort of level out, and like the heaviest substances will be at the bottom, like the clay, and then maybe the sand, and then maybe the dirt, and it'll form even layers. And that would make perfect sense if a global flood happened because you'd have that exact same process happening over the whole world so that the rock layers would just kind of, the heaviest things would fall to the bottom and the lighter things would float to the top and then you'd kind of get these layers that are nice, neat, and tidy. Mm -hmm. Um, Having them evolve over millions and billions of years doesn't make much sense, especially since we see some things like trees going through multiple rock layers. So it wouldn't make sense that one tree over millions and millions of years is somehow trapped in like three different rock layers. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't make any sense because the tree would have deteriorated by then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if it all happened instantly very or very fast, like in the case of a flood, that would make sense. Right. So, yeah, yeah those are just some of my... I think so, too. I feel like the flood um, it comes up a lot in this discussion, and I'm not incredibly... Um, seasoned in it but i think like what you said it, it makes sense um and that the flood obviously um if the flood happened as the bible depicts it a worldwide flood it's going to be very central in our understanding of uh fossils and bones and layers and all of these things because that was a 
incredibly impactful moment in the Earth's history, <laughs> a worldwide flood. And so, yeah, it's definitely going to um, be big in this conversation, I think. Um, something that I think I, I want to bring up as an objection, and I like bringing this up in college campuses, um, you know, if I ever do ministry there, because a lot of times you get the, with the atheistic model of evolution, I might even, and I have said this to people, let me just grant you for a second. Let's just assume you're right. The neo-Darwinian evolutionary model is right. The tree of life is right. You still need God for this model. You have to have God. And so like, let's just say you are adapting this you know, evolution. Where does, where does the stuff that gets evolved come from? You need it to get there somehow. It can't just pop into existence. Um, I, I have this book in front of me. It's called Darwin's Doubt by Stephen C. Meyer. I really, really recommend him in this discussion. He is um, a very solid, very sharp, incredibly, impre- incredibly gifted uh, teacher. Um, and I believe he's uh, at the university level, but he is, he's got PhDs. Dude is very, very smart, but the book called Darwin's Doubt. Um, but one of the things that he says early on in the book is that evolution can account for survival of the fittest, but it can't account for the arrival of the fittest. <laughs> where does where do, where does the fittest come from? How did it get there? It the it doesn't. None of these things answer this question. You know, when when we look at um, anybody looks at a building, you know, or even anything that's uh, has any piece of design to it. We recognize design in it. You know, I'm looking at some paintbrushes right now, for example. Very rudimentary, very basic structures, piece of wood with some, you know, some things stuck to it, you know, piece of metal wrapped around it. And we know what it is and we know that it had a creator. Even though we never saw the creator, we didn't assume it got here by a different means. We assume right off of the bat because we recognize design that it has some basic elements to it, that it was formed and it has structure. Somebody spent some time on it. How much more life and the human beings that we see around us, um, even in the most basic form, the, some of the most basic single cell things that when we look at inside of a human being, the cell is a whole world. It's a whole universe of just life and uh, complexity. And so when we look at these things, with the most basic things, we assume a creator. But when it, look, when it comes to evolution, we just say, well, they got here. And now that they're here, they have begun to evolve. Um, but I think no matter what, even if you were to adapt evolution, you have to have some sort of a being orchestrating and guiding the process. But not only that, but also initiating and giving the fundamental elements to make it so this process can even happen. Because if there is nothing at all, then obviously evolution can't happen. But evolution goes off of the presupposition that there's something there even to work with. And so I like to I like to use that argument, um, particularly on college campuses again, because a lot of college campuses there's a lot of atheists and agnostics and people who just uh, hold to these views and use them as a reason to say, well, God must not exist. And I'm willing to even just say, All right, I'll I'll pretend with you for a second. I think you're wrong, but I'm just gonna I'll go along with you and say it, uh, evolution's true. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, you need a God in that model. Um, so that that would be my objection, and I would love to hear you know, some thoughts on that from the other side, how enough, you know, 
abiogenesis. And I've heard people say everything can come from nothing, but I don't hear that fleshed out. Lawrence Cross has a thing, everything from nothing, but his nothing isn't really nothing. It's energy and gravity. But where did that come from? That's not nothing. That's something. And then life. How did life get here from non-life? Life is... What is life, really? Like You can't just have life just pop into being. Like Life is something that has to be given. And we would say it's given by the eternal God, the, the author of life, the one who is eternal life. The uncreated and, being. Yeah. And so, anyways, so my mm-hmm. ramblings, but that would be a big weakness I would see um, in the atheistic evolutionary model. Yeah, no, I agree. I, and I, I would say probably the last thing I would say would be um, I just don't see any objective science any observable repeatable science that would lead me to affirm cosmic biological evolution and macro evolution i don't see anything if if people are pointing to changes within a species as evolution or mutations that don't actually improve anything they just duplicate mm-hmm. what's already there mm-hmm. um, or remove what's already there either way um then I mean, then we're just looking at microevolution, which we agree with, but there's no observable, repeatable evidence of these other things. It's just a theory about you're looking at evidence and saying, I think this is how this came about, mm-hmm. which right. is fine to do. You can do that, but it's a theory. It's faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like I'm having faith that God made it. We're right. both having faith. Yes. The question is, which faith is valid? <laughs> and, <laughs> if any, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I would say... It, on a number of levels, it makes much more sense to to trust in God. Um, and like Christians aren't anti-science. Like the whole the branches, most of the branches of science were started by Christians mm-hmm. or theists. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. most of them were. Like Isaac Newton. I mean, come on, my namesake. Not really, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like come on, like this yeah. guy's awesome. So yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Cool. Well, I think, uh, is that everything you wanted to say? That's good. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, then, uh, guys, that's all for today's episode. Hope you consider subscribing for more Simply Christian content. And until next time. <laughs>